What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. What's up, party people in the place to be? It is Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO, the Little Lebowski Urban Achiever. I'm coming to you live from my remote hideout. I used to be in the trap house. I've upgraded a little bit. You see, we got plants in the background. This is the people's party. We are respecting the social distancing. I want you to give it up to my lovely and talented, always thought-provoking, always funny co-host, Jasmine Lee. What's up, Jasmine? How you feeling? What's up? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good, good. You are quarantining it up over there in Los Angeles? Yes, man. In my new apartment. I'm living the life over here. How is it? It's great. I'm just trying to uh, get everything unpacked slowly but surely. We're getting there. Okay, well, that's a good segue because we're going to do a lot of unpacking today. Now, we always have... Very interesting guest, and a lot of guests are my friends. But this guest that we have today is probably one of the most interesting and probably one of my better friends that we're going to have on this thing. He is a comedian. I know you love the comedians, Jasmine. Yes, and I love this one a lot, too. Yes, this comedian right here that we have might be one of the best stand-up comedians I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, this man takes the stage, and he mutilates the stage. I mean, I've seen him do incredible things in front of some of the biggest comedians in the world and still make that stage his own. If you were to pay this man a dollar for every one of every time you said one of his jokes out loud, he would be like a multi-trillionaire. Wherever you live in the world, this man is going to come through. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Wherever you live in America, this man will come through. I don't know if he's doing comedy every place in the world, but I know he's global. He's international. You might know him from Guy Code. You might know him from The Last OG. You might know him from Spider-Man 2, The Wire, uh, Black Dynamite. You definitely know him from The Chappelle Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the one, the only, the talented, the funny, Donnell Rollins in the place to be on the People's Party. Give it up. Uh. Am I on? Yes. Is my mic on, son? Is my Your mic, mic is on? on. Yo, check one, two. Hey, yo, I'm old school like Lati Dati. From Marcy <laughs> to LA now, I'm rocking with the People's Party. Yes. People know me as Donnell Rock. Yo, let me get my bar and stop cutting me <laughs> off, son. All right, go ahead. People know that I'm ashy now. I'm spitting facts with a real nigga. Kwali. <laughs> uh, What's up? People, oh, I couldn't rhyme. Jasmine, I couldn't rhyme. I couldn't put you in the rhyme. I'm sorry. People Quali don't know that you've been Lee trying rhyme, to give me. Donnell. People don't know that you've been trying to get me to sign you to Javoti as a, as a rap artist for quite some time now. Yeah, and they also know that you're disrespectful. And when you told me that one of your closest friends, I'm like, really? Where's my deal, son? <laughs> <laughs> What's on my deal? I want to tell the people how on Friday night, Dave Chappelle had a social distance uh, minded comedy event. In Yellow Springs. We both in Yellow Springs, but we in different rooms right, right now, right? I was going to blow it up. I was like, nigga, you right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was about to be like, look, wait, I'll be right back, son. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to do it for the people, you know, because the people got to gotta know that we at least trying, you know, we trying out here. Yeah. But drag us. We, we, Dave had this special uh, social distancing com comedy event and shout out, shout out to Cypher Sounds and Michael Che and Michelle Wolf and all the comedians who rock. But you rocked. And then you forced me to perform 
And you made fun of me on stage until I I was forced (laughs) to come out and defend myself through rap. Okay, now let me explain what really happened, all right? Okay. First off, you was there the night before, right? Uh Uh-huh. And you was chilling. You was like, oh, I want, I don't, you know, no pictures, no pictures. Just keep six feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like, I'm like this. You know, I look at it like this, son. When we together as family, you know, I just feel like we always go hit the stage, whether it's one song, an album, or whatever. I can't really mm-hmm. spit. And then I asked you to go on, and I know part of your situation was you hadn't performed in a while. That night, particularly, was my first time on stage in like 85 days. So I do wow. know, you know, how that feel, but also know when I went out there, how it felt to really connect with a live audience, right? And then I was like, you gonna do something? You was like, and you looked at me, this what you did, you looked at me like this, what, please, right? <laughs> That's- <laughs> <laughs> Yo, son, you looked at me like this. Anytime a brother look at you like this, what? And look like this, it's, he ain't gonna fuck with you, that's it, right? <laughs> And then you was backstage, and I was like, yo, Kwali is back there, y'all. You gonna come out? And then you came out that night, and I was like, oh, man, it was a, we had so many good, much feedback on how that was a nice way to end the night. And then I was like, oh, he, we in Yellow Springs, nigga. We in Yellow Springs. We in Yellow Springs. (laughs) They had a Black Lives Matter protest the other day. It was 10 people in the protest, black people. (laughs) And that was a- They was all, they was all Dave's family. Yeah, they was. They was <laughs> his son was no justice and no peace. All right. of them said. So the next day, you came again, mm-hmm. right? And this time you looked at me more disrespectful than the last time. <laughs> and you looked at me. You could somebody could say a, look, get, look at you a certain way. You like, you looked at me like this nigga better not ask me to perform. Right? That's the look. <laughs> you didn't say it, right? But not only that, I don't know if people could see me, man, but you were sitting there with a sense of arrogance. You were sitting like this way back. If y'all can look at me now, but if y'all see, this my knee, right? His knee was all the way up to his chest. <laughs> Yo, and he was twirling, look, and he was doing his feet like Bill Cosby. He was like this. He was like this, right? Then he said, not gonna go in there. So I was like, then I was, I said, nigga, I thought you was Brooklyn. What up? What the frack? Nigga, what the rock? Right? Yeah, you said only Brooklyn niggas know how to say frack. Frack, right. And then and <laughs> when when you wasn't going to perform, I said, what the frack? Right? <laughs> I'm like, the frack is we doing? Right? I'm like, the frack is going on here. And you wouldn't go on. You didn't want to go on. And we was about to close the show. And I knew, I was like, man, this going to test our friendship because I know this nigga is mad at me. Right? <laughs> I said, I said, I said, this nigga going to be like this. See? Now you know why you don't got a record deal, nigga. It's shit like this. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you told you told and, them you told them people in the audience. You said, see, Kwali yeah. backstage, he he want he don't want to perform in front of all y'all crackers. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it was That's why I had to come out. out. It was cracking up after that. At least it was an A and not an ER. And then he came up and he came behind me. It was a it was a good moment. And I know mm-hmm. it's kind of tough. I didn't mean to um disrespect your space or anything, but I oh, was no, like this. I know how I know how I felt the night before. I know how the audience felt. And I know how Day rocked, so I'm glad that you did. But guess what? The next show, that nigga's like, I ain't going. Fuck that. I ain't fucking with him. Because <laughs> I, was, I was too busy doing people party interviews. I got drunk during the interviews and fell asleep. But you saying no, the hook will get no. by, so I appreciate you. Yo, you put me pressure on me. You was like this. Okay, well, you doing it with me. I was That's like, right. cause everybody know Miss Ash Larry. I said, just to stay dry, just to stay dry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I lift my shirt up, son, and my 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 I had a a, a fingernail tattoo, a ash life on the side, son, scratched on my oh, stomach, no. fucked the streets up, son. But yo, so on the Joe Rogan show, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, I got another uh, pet peeve. You said on the Joe Rogan show that if someone has too many pairs of glasses, they are becoming an asshole, right? So right. I'm over here like this. I'm over here like, hold on, I got this pair. Yeah, that's, that, <laughs> exactly. That's the same motherfucker that would uh, chew on his toe. Oh, <laughs> then I got, got this. Then I got this pair. Hold on. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's called money, <laughs> nigga. You know, you got money when you got. You remember when you was little, son? You right. break them glasses. You have tape on the side of that shit and everything, son. <laughs> but I know. What about hats? Because uh, Talib has ten million hats. I don't think I've I seen a repeat one. Nah, he don't. He, he's a hat in the glasses, dude. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm like the nigga from the from the from the. Uh, I'm not a rapper, dude. I'm the glasses jacket shirt man. Yeah, so you you're a full-blown asshole right now with the hats and the glasses. <laughs> that's been that's been simmering up for some years, I gotta say. <laughs> now, um, do you remember when you I went so I'm I'm gonna break the story down. I went to see Jasmine do like this black comedy night at the crack comedy store. What's it called? Crack 'em up Thursdays. Crack 'em up crack 'em up Thursdays. And I went to see because I was right. I was planning to go see Jasmine and all her friends trying to make it in the comedy business. But the problem is, is that they invited you, Donnell, and you uh, went on stage and you uh, destroyed that motherfucking stage so bad. And all the jokes after you was how everybody had to follow Donnell Rollins, including right. Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> so why you did that? <laughs> why? No. It was like an hour long performance. It was Oh, crazy. he's murdered. No, but you know what? I, I it's so weird the way I came up. And comedy, it's like that. Was sometimes people always just say you can't follow somebody or you can't do this, but I always thought it was challenging to go. Me personally, it's challenging to go behind tough acts. The only way mm-hmm. you're gonna build your strength is when you test it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anybody, you can always set up a, you could easily set up a lineup where it's like, okay, that person's gonna be this, that person's gonna be that, and then it's a build up to the end. But you got to throw people out there, and I'm never gonna go on stage uh, playing around. I've been doing it mm-hmm. for 27 years, and I can honestly say every night that I go on the stage, I'm trying to gut it. Like mm-hmm. 27 years, you know? And this is another tough thing to say. I've been doing it for 27 years. After 27 years, and I'm talking about I had heights in my career where I thought my standard was like, there's no way I could have another level of this, right? But mm-hmm. after 27 years, I honestly say that every year I get better. Mm. And we're talking about, we're talking about after you saw me one year, like smoking shit. This is not cocky. It's only the truth. And my peers and people I work with say that every year I get better. Every time I go on stage, I'm trying to learn something different. I'm trying to, if I smoke the show, like an eight o'clock show at 10, I'm trying to gut that one. If I got three more shows the next day, I'm trying to gut it because you're only as good as your reputation and the harder you go, you know, people people to respect that. And it's not too many people that can say, and I've took some L's, mm-hmm. but it's not too many people that can say that they remember me bombing. Mm. I've never seen you bomb personally. Word up. Now, um, Michael Che, who was also out here, told me that when we um performing jokes for people who are in lockdown, we're performing jokes, like he had did this thing, this N-word, he was doing a special from the back of a truck, performing for people in the street protesters he described it as being like our version of a uso tour a lot of people don't right. know that you was in the air force you top gun nigga. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm like, top gun. But I wasn't in the Air Force because I was patriotic. You ain't gonna write a song about me, son. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, I left that shit. I left the military singing public enemy black steel in the night of chaos, son. I got a letter no from the government. I was like, the other day, word is born. Yeah. Bob Hope, Rob Riggle, Sinbad, a lot of a lot of classic comedians have been yeah. in the armed forces. Um yeah. do you feel like that that helped you? And and how did you feel? You know, how was it being in the military with your mentality, knowing how racist this country is? I, when I was in, you know what? It's so weird because when I was in the military, when you go in the military, you, well, I, my experience, I didn't really feel that because like when you join the military, mm -hmm. you like, when you first get on the bus and you go to basic training, the first thing they do is cut your hair off, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're on the bus, you're like, that nigga from um, Alabama, look, he got finger waves. You knew what motherfuckers look like. Mm -hmm. But once you cut your hair, you didn't, everybody looked the same. But it became like in the military, it was like, it felt like a brotherhood with us. Like you used to have another military guy running to another military guy, whatever branch he's in, you have a like an instant connection. You, mm -hmm. you have an interconnection, um, an instant connection. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really young when I uh, joined the military. And I never really had no racist experiences mm -hmm. when I was there. I didn't really join the military because... I was patriotic. I joined the military because I didn't want to go to jail and I didn't have no skills. And there that's was the reason most things, niggas joined the military. Yeah, yeah. Most most black people and Mexicans, it's like uh, I, I no disrespect, but that's just the truth of it. You know, the white dudes mm -hmm. they joined the military so they could paint their face and hide behind trees and shit. So <laughs> like, <laughs> like it might be one motherfucker behind you right now, son, in there talking right. about, talk about some talking about some nine Bravo Charlie Delta Fox track. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> now, 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 you you also learned Korean. You were stationed in South Korea, right? Yeah, I, I learned. Well, not a, a lot of my, my bio says fluently, but I'm not fluent. I'm at a I'm was at a conversation level where I could just maneuver through the culture. You know, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't like I said, I wasn't fluent, but mm -hmm. I knew how uh, you wouldn't. The hookers couldn't. Rob Get over. me, cheat me out of money. Hey <laughs> yo, the first, hey son, the first phrase I learned was how to say that shit too expensive, right? Oh my god. <laughs> yo, I too poku, too poku. I go. I be like this. I tell them all straight. I go, and you got to do like this. Piss like, oh, you got to act uh, like a speak, son. <laughs> you got, you got to be like I go, poji. Yeah, man. Piss like, oh. But I, you use I some of that on the on the Chappelle show too, right? And then some of them skits, some of your yeah, Korean. The, when we, well, one particular sketch we did the player haters bar, and I'm gonna tell you the player haters bar. That sketch, the reason why it was an ultimate hater sketch, because I had asked Neil Brennan. I said, uh, "Shout out to Neil Brennan. He going through a little thing right now, right <laughs> in these streets." Yeah, I yeah. love you, bro. Appreciate all the opportunities you gave me, man. And I know that you know sometimes you, uh, you know, just. I hope everything works out. So right. um, uh, we I asked Neil, I said, what's the next sketch I'm going to be on? And he said, player haters ball. And I was like, cool. So one day I was looking at the call sheet and I saw they were shooting player haters ball and I didn't see my name. So I said, nigga, and I call him nigga because people think he's <laughs> a white nigga, right? <laughs> I said, why I'm not on the call sheet? He said, oh, shit, I forgot, B. I said, how the fuck you gonna forget a whole nigga? Like, how you forget? <laughs> how you forget me? He said, oh, you wanna do it? I'm like, duh. He said, well, just, I don't know, come up with something. So that night, I had to call Wardrobe. I called Whitney. I said, I wanna build this character. And at the time, The Five Heartbeats was one of my favorite movies, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, could you give me an outfit? 
that's on point to what something um Eddie Kane Jr. would wear. I want that's that old Eddie Kane. Yeah, I wanted the sparkles. And you know, you could see I don't really have no hair. I, I tried to grow it during the pandemic. That shit turned into George <laughs> Jefferson in two months. We got right? the same problem. Same problem, brother. Yeah. But I let it go. I let it go. I, I just, I just, I felt good. To be, mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to the story. But when and I let George Jefferson grow, felt good. Yeah, the reason why I felt good, you know how some women hide behind makeup all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you never, and there's no disrespect to it. I know what that's about. But I know it's got to be something refreshing when you can present your Fair all face. natural, all your, yo, yo, like on Spell side, we want to see your face. Show us right. your face. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, I called, uh, hair and makeup and I said, yo, I need a Jerry Carroll wig, right? I want to, I'm going to build this character. So I got a Jerry Carroll wig. Uh, mind you, this character didn't exist. I got wardrobe to give me the, that, uh, outfit. And then I wanted to, when I used to do that show, if you notice, I didn't really talk a lot on that show. I, if you t- have an editor, Cut mm-hmm. a put on a timeline. How many times I actually spoke in that show? It's probably five minutes out of two and a half years. But what I knew mm-hmm. was, whenever and this could go out to anybody, anybody this whenever they put the camera on me, I maxed everything I could out physically. I wanted to make people laugh before I even opened my fucking mouth. So I went to props and I said, "Yo, I need some activator for my Jerry curl." <laughs> but I wanted, but look, I wanted a champagne glass, right? But he said, that's going to get kind of sloppy, right? So I said, okay, give me an aerosol spray can. So I was in there. I'm not even on the script. We about to shoot in like five minutes. I'm putting the character together. I'm squirting myself. Motherfuckers laughing. Bitches is laughing. Right? Like, oh, shit. I see you. Don't get that shit on me. I was right. like, that can't going to work. I'm like, and I at this point, I still didn't have a name. I said, Neil, what's going to be my name? He was like, I don't know, give yourself something. I said, nigga, I thought you was the writer, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> and he said, and I was walking past this mirror and I, I looked past the mirror, I'm squirting myself, I'm looking like this, hit me two times, bitches. And I looked in the mirror and I said, man, I feel beautiful on these bitches. <laughs> I know, yo son, this is how it came about. I right. said, I feel beautiful. And I said, ding, ding, you know how something hit? Uh-huh. I said, beautiful, that's it. Your name is going to be beautiful. And I told Neil my name was going to be beautiful. And he looked at me like, that's so opposite of what you look like right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you're talking about the Korean part, um, we had to do like a little testimonial. And I just started winging some Korean and then and it made the show. And that's the first time I think anybody's ever seen me speak any kind of Korean on any, any television show. But that right. was a that was a that was just a great time. That show, it's hard for me to have interviews with people and not touch mm-hmm. on it. People always want to say, of course, don't you, do you get tired of it? But how can you get tired of being a part of one of the most iconic sketch shows in the history of television? Facts. Yeah, you man. Know? Neil said the same thing on this show. He said, we you know, cause we, I, I don't know how the question came up, but you know, Nick, he I said, look just like Idris Elba right now. Y'all don't see it. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Yo, I look like Ashley Elwood. You look like when he had COVID. You look like pre pre COVID Idris. I just like when he had COVID. <laughs> no, Yo, but Neil, Neil said Nelson. that. He said, "How can I get tired of being a part of one of the greatest things in comedy history? Like, how can I? Yeah. How can I be annoyed by that? By those questions? The um, same thing when people they all ask me like, do you get tired of people calling you Ashley Larry? The fact they don't know is I've been Ashy my whole life, son. Oh my god, Ashy the classy, Ashy the classy. But they yeah, don't give you props. 
They, they, I'm just about to say they don't give you your props. They don't, they give you a props for Chappelle's show, but they don't give you your props for being a part of the Ricky Lake show, which I feel yo, like also is a part of coaching. Yo, son, let me. That's the realest question a nigga ever asked me, son. Right? <laughs> when I, I was going to high school, they they was filming Rich, Ricky Lake across the street from my high school, Brooklyn Tech, and then I got sent away to boarding school right when they started filming. So I watched Ricky Lake in boarding school, and I would see all my friends from Brooklyn in the audience, and it would <laughs> oh, yeah. fuck me up. I would have major FOMO. <laughs> Yo, it was so funny because I started doing the Ricky Lake show, Ricky Lake show probably a year before we started doing Chappelle's show. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was like, there was when everybody was trying to do shows where like a panel of different personalities and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they had a cast. It was myself, Heather B., Lauren Lake, who's now doing paternity court. Um, and was and a couple of other people. But this one, like, when we had to talk about relationships, stuff like that, this was our crew. And I was excited about doing that show because it came at a time... I wasn't really making a lot of money doing stand-up. So to be able mm -hmm. to be a part of a television show that was syndicated, because when mm -hmm. we used to do it, you would get paid like $1,200 just to do it for that day. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the shit was, boy, when them quarterly residual checks came in out of 40 mm -hmm. markets, everybody's like, how you going to do that show, Ricky? I was like, nigga, every time I open my mailbox, I'm like, go, Ricky, go, <laughs> Ricky. <laughs> and then, in real talk, though, son, you know how part of... Uh, Ricky Lake was part of our culture growing up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. when was come when I was at that time, there wasn't a lot of it wasn't a lot of TV. Period. So whatever you could get on, it was exposure. And I I used to be on this so regularly. Like I used to uh, like average like three or four shows a week, right? Where people start saying, "Yo, that's the dude from the Ricky Lake show." Mm -hmm. you know, when I first moved to New York, you know the first time how I first. Way I got on television, they used to do uh, they used to do People's Court right in New York, mm -hmm. and then when they leave out of the courtroom, they go on the street and ask questions. Right, I found out where that spot was, nigga. I used to go to that bitch every day, acting like I'm just walking past. <laughs> yo, yo, I was acting like I was confused. I was acting like shit. Yo, so I'm gonna find a that. Question. I'm gonna find that. Yo, yo, they ask a question. They asked questions, I'd be like this, no. Yo, they was like, yo, this, then I come in here like this. So I was like, what? Yo, that was my credit, <laughs> son. <laughs> that was my credit were for you, some time. Um, were you already full-time, were you already full-time comedy and acting when you saw the script for The Chappelle Show? Yeah, I was full-time. Funny thing about it, I, I was, when I first started doing comedy, first time I ever went on stage, I crushed the room. Right. And I was in D.C. for a while in the D.C. comedy scene, especially if you're a black comedian. It's like you become popular with the cabarets, you know, like the little uh, one nighters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But after a while, there's not too many opportunities there. You become like a, a, like the, the mayor of that city, but it's not too much of a place to grow. You know, you got to leave. It's either New York or L.A. I did. I was on comedy for five months and I made Def Jam. Mm. Wow. The way I did Def Jam, Royale Watkins, a very good friend of mine, right? Oh, I just did Royale, a show with him. Yeah, Royale, he's got he's one of the reasons I made my transition from DC uh um to New York. And he had, at the time he was already signed with um with Russ Communication, Bob Sumner, right? So and he would come to DC and um, one time he gave me his business card. He wanted to let me know that he was being managed by Russ Communication, right? Mm -hmm. So he gave me his card and I and because uh, I, I want to do a show. He said, you got to call my people. I'm like, what? I never called the office to book him for a show. I said, let me call um, Russ Communication 
and I'm going to act like I already know Bob something when I called. I said, I'm going to act like cocky. And Christy, she picked up the phone. She said, Russia Communication, Bob, some of the office, how can I help you? I said, hey, yo, where Bob at? Is he there? <laughs> she was like, so she was like this. Who is this? I was like, who is it? It's Donnell. It's Bob. All right, look. Tell, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, Donnell. Hold on. Motherfucker. She patched me through. I was like this. Oh, shit. What I'm going to say now, right? And um, I said, yo, I, I know you don't know me. I just tricked the receptionist. I'm a funny comic out of D.C. <laughs> I work with some of the people because he had everybody at that time. Mm-hmm. I said, I work with some people that's already on your roster. I just want to get a shot to perform at the Peppermint Lounge. And the Peppermint Lounge is one of the hardest rooms in New York. That mm-hmm. was, if, the, if you thought Def Jam was tough, Peppermint Lounge was just the, um, the beginning of it. I mean, that was a tough room. Mm-hmm. So he, he said, you want to come up this week? I was like, Oh, no, I, I got to see if I can get off work. He said, you still got a job, right? I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Second week, went up there. One of my friends, a good friend of mine, and I didn't even know to see some years later that we drove to New York in a stolen motherfucking car. I ain't even asked niggas where they got the car from. I just jumped Saturdays. in. days. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. I went on stage, and like it was one of those rooms like you could be going good for six minutes, and then something had happened, and then they forgot all about that shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was on the stage, and I was in the groove. And Royale came to the side of the stage while I was performing. And he said, Bob loves you. You got the show. I said, good night, everybody. And I got the fuck out of there, son. <laughs> word up, word up. And then fucking nine months later, I was on one of the biggest uh, platforms for black com- comedy of all time. You know, that's very that's very inspirational. But you you <laughs> you were born and raised in D.C. and there's a Alexandria, but, but yeah, Virgi- Alexandria, Virginia. But yeah, because okay, you yeah. know niggas get mad. You don't say there's it right. DMV they get shit. mad. Right. Yeah, yeah they yeah, get you mad. Gotta be right. You gotta be right. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a there's a vibrant black comedy scene in D.C. But uh, you, where, where you had to go, but you also had to go from D.C. not to just not just to New York, but to Brooklyn. You entrench yourself in Brooklyn, and a lot of people you so you so Brooklyn. You be like, "What up, son?" That a lot of people yo, think you from Brooklyn. Yo, so I break am, down the differences. You, yeah, I am from. And people can say what they want. You going niggas always talking about nigga. You grew up so and so. Yeah, we have parts of our life. Mm-hmm. We have parts of our life where that's where I'm from. That's right. And this wasn't. And I went, I'm not saying I'm from Brooklyn because I lived there for like the first six months. Mm-hmm. I'm from Brooklyn because I lived there for 13 years. I'm from Brooklyn that I watched niggas get killed around me. I'm from Brooklyn that I went to my niggas' weddings. I went to mm-hmm. funerals. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, when mm-hmm. I first moved to Brooklyn, I lived in Fort Greene. And I'm from Brooklyn because I took a little uh, a, 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 a little restaurant they had called Palm Court Lounge. And this one, nobody would let me get on stage, right, in the New York. The niggas wouldn't fuck with me. And I had to make some money. So I went to this little open mic spot. They do it on Monday nights. And I went to this place for three weeks and I saw they only had like 10 or 15 people, right? So I mm-hmm. made it, I said, yo, I'm a funny comedian, blah, 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 blah. I said, how about taking them, if would y'all roll the dice on, I could pack this room out. And at the time there was nothing new. People always say, ain't shit to do on a Monday, right? So I mm-hmm. named a night something to do on Monday. Yeah. Right? And I took this night and it became a staple for black comedy. In Bro- and I wasn't even from Brooklyn. Like mm-hmm. when I say Brooklyn fuck with me, they fuck with me, you know. No doubt. And I, I, I like when I when I moved to DC, when I couldn't get on shows, I used to go to used to go there too, Brooklyn Moon Cafe. Yep, I used Bro- to for po- poetry here. Snap. 
Yeah, the snap shit. Because they, they wouldn't let me tell jokes. Did they snap for the jokes? Yeah, because the people lived upstairs, they was trying to keep me yeah. quiet. That was the thing. Yeah. But the thing about it was, when I couldn't get on stage at other places, I would go up there and say I'm a poet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would go up there and start with a poem and just start roasting the motherfucking tree-eating, <laughs> tea-drinking, no-money-spinning-ass, thoughtful-ass, fucking all the white bitches-ass niggas. Them bad, hey, man, them black power niggas was tearing the white bitches up in that spot. So. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not, even get, I'm not even, I'm not even going to get into how you told me that niggas is out here getting protest head. Bro, boy, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm for the cause, son. But I'm gonna tell you, ain't gonna never, you're gonna never get no blowjob better than a Karen at a protest, nigga. <laughs> now you, you, um, you, um, you took these. Wait, son, you took I'm these, telling you. Go ahead. They look, yo, yo, son, you ever get a, a, a blowjob with a, them looking at you like this? What can I do? Like. <laughs> I'm so sorry yeah. for my ancestors. Hey, son, Whoa. they like this. They like this, looking back at you with consciousness like this. So like, is there anything <laughs> else I could do for you and your people? Yeah, bitch, you can. <laughs> you stupid. Uh, can you explain the importance of having that hustler mentality and making it in the comedy world? Because you keep speaking on how you kept making your own opportunities. I, this is something I've lived by from when I first started doing comedy. And it's a simple phrase. I know it's not original by me. Go hard or go home. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Either go, you got to go hard or you go home. And I always tell people, because I mentor a couple of people, I say, none, a thing you got to remember is that you got to be willing to do what the next person is not going to do. You got to take that extra mile. You got to take that extra step. I'll give you an example as a reference back to Chappelle's show. This was after I had already coined the phrase, I'm rich, bitch, right? Mm -hmm. So I was in I was in the show. Like, they thought about me with the writing and everything. And we had another comedian that was supposed to do this character, this sketch. And he was cocky about it. He wanted all this money. And it just, and then he was on set for an hour trying to get the scene right. Eventually, they had to scratch it. And Dave played the part. So before Dave and Neil had the power where they could just say who they wanted on the show. But after this dude wasted so much of Comedy Central money, Comedy Central, later I found out, I think it might have been just um, Neil, but Comedy Central wanted to give everybody opportunity for these roles. It's like, have a casting call. And then Neil told me, he said, yo, you got to audition for the... I was like, what, nigga? I'm rich, bitch! Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> who? I'm looking around like, who are you talking to? Now, I'm like this. He said, you got to audition. I was like, why? He said, well... And I told myself that night... Now, this is the difference. I could have been an asshole. You know what I'm saying? I could have been a guy sitting backstage with his legs crossed, twirling his feet with eight different <laughs> pairs of glasses. <laughs> I didn't want to be that. I wouldn't. I didn't want to get in touch with my inner quality at the time, son. But, I'm about so to I, on you. I know you. That's funny, son. Yeah, so I said I could have went home and said, man, fuck that, man. I ain't audition. Just make me an offer. That's all mm -hmm. I want, offer. Because, you know, some people do that, offer only. And I knew, I said, if I do that, well, you know what's going to happen. You definitely ain't going to be in another sketch if you don't go for the shot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do? So I went in that audition, and I lit that motherfucker on fire, son. And then after the audition, I looked at the camera, I said, so now do I got to keep auditioning or what? The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I never auditioned. I never auditioned Work again. Out. But back to your question, it's like, it's a very tough business. This applies to rap, anything, especially in entertainment. You got to be built a certain way. 
You got to be built. I always tell people, first thing, if you start in the comedy business, is that you have to be able to be happy broke. Mm. Period. If you right. can't, some people can't handle broke. Some niggas, not love broke, but it's all good. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And when I'm saying broke, I don't mean like, your, 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 your mind got to stay working, your mental. You can't be have that attitude of this right. is what it's going to be. You always got to know, like, I'm just, like my mother used to say, um, I ain't broke. I just ain't got to my money yet. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Because most right. of the time, it's a different era now because with social media and everything, how people can make their own opportunities and how quick people can blow up. When I was coming up, it was flyers, nigga, flyer, flyer. Um, because flyer to flyer, and it was word of mouth. But you got to be willing, again, to do the thing that the next person going to do. I remember when I moved to right. Brooklyn, I used to, nigga, I used to do shows for $20, and I'd be happy as a motherfucker. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, shit, I'm going to get, because when you when I moved from D.C., Alexandria, to New York, I'd never been to a deli where you could, um, get as much lunch meat as you want, like how much by right. the weight. It's like, we were right. came from, it's like, nigga, you get the whole pack of bologna, that's it, nigga, ain't nobody got this shit, right? Right. <laughs> and I, I remember I heard 20 bucks. A hoagie and a mystic. What? You already know <laughs> what it is, son. <laughs> Yo, I would be like this, and I was Dollar hoagie, dollar hoagie and a mystic. Easy. That's I like a dollar fifty like meal. And you good. I used to say, uh, I want a dollar and 32 cent worth of the honey roasted turkey. <laughs> right. And I would tell them to slice it thin. You get to slice it however you want. That was, but I never felt like I didn't have anything because I knew I was going to get it. I could just mm -hmm. feel, right. I could feel money. I said, boy, if you're right. good enough, if you get good enough of this, you can make money out of it. People always say, I know I talk a lot. People always say, somebody say something, Daniel, um, about fame. Right. And I told this dude, I said, I never, never once did I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. Everything in my career, it just happened like, oh shit, it led to the next thing. I never wanted to be famous. But I knew if I was good at it, the fame would come. But it never, I never was like, I never, that was never my thing. I'm like, just, just be nice. It'll come. Mm -hmm. You know? Now, speaking of fame and money, our friend Dave Chappelle famously, infamously walked away from a lot of money. $50 million at the height of his fame. Now, you and other cast members, people working on Chappelle's show, y'all were still involved in the show. Was it, was it ever weird at that point when the Chappelle show seemed to be ending spectacularly, but y'all as people working on the show weren't quite sure what the direction was? Well, it ain't never seemed to be ending. It just ended, nigga. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that nigga was a werewolf one day and that nigga was in Africa the next day, son. <laughs> but it was so funny, son. I remember... Mm -hmm. Charlie was Frankenstein. I was uh, the mummy. And Dave was a werewolf, right? And I knew I could feel something was strange, nigga. Because mm -hmm. that nigga, I, he was like this. And he said, I guess 50 million ain't enough. And I was like, mm. two? Mm. <laughs> right. I was like, who? And it was like, and when he left the show, it was like, to be, I'm real shit. I was kind of happy when he left the show. And the reason why I say that because when we were doing Chappelle's show, it wasn't a big money gig for us. For me, right. it wasn't big nothing for Charlie. It wasn't a big money gig for uh, for uh, Bill Burr because it 
didn't pop yet where we could use it to, you know, it was still, it was mm-hmm. simmering. So, and I had came up with the idea. I was like, we got to get some money. I came up with the idea of doing this tour called the I'm Rich Bitch Tour, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, we can't I just saw them shows these. too. Yeah. I I'm saw like, you saw a couple of shows. I'm like, man, we got to figure out something. Charlie Murphy hadn't never told a joke in his life at the time. And mm-hmm. Bill Burr, and I said this on different podcasts, Bill Burr was a bubbling comedian. He was probably mm. doing B comedy room, but everybody knew certain talent. You just see, you like, you could just know it's only a matter of time. You could tell that, but still he wasn't as recognizable from the show as me and Charlie. So I had to bully Charlie into going to do stand up because Charlie was, we would roast me and him. We would, we would go so hard and I'd be like, yeah, nigga, you tough in, in your movies and shit. I say, but let a microphone come in this motherfucker. You ought to be like a dog with his tail in his ass and walk away. I used to always fucking dog him. Mm-hmm. And finally, he um, I took him to an open mic one time. We started the, um, the I'm Rich Bitch tour, and we did that for like a year and a half. But the time that we did it was when Dave went away. So mm-hmm. now it's like, like he was because we didn't know if he was gonna come back. But he was like, oh, all right, take your time, nigga. We gonna go get this money. And then then we found out that he never wasn't he never was gonna come back. And it was a tough situation because uh, Comedy Central had an archive of sketches that they had already shot. It was a lost episodes. And, and, you know, and musical could, and and musical guests. And I, musical was, guests. I was I was one of the musical guests of the lost episode from something that we hadn't yeah. put out yet. And it was a it's it was it was it was a interesting situation because you have Comedy Central on one end, it's like, all right, we did pay for these. We can't just not do it. Mm-hmm. And then you had um out you had on the other end is what do you do? And that was a tough decision for me and Charlie to host the, to host the lost episode because nobody had walked through that curtain. It was his show. Nobody had walked through that curtain. You know what I'm saying? At the time, he hadn't really communicated his thoughts on what he wanted to do. Like, if a nigga would have called me and said, yo, son, don't do it, I wouldn't have fucked with it, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, it was an opportunity for me because I still was getting a name for myself. And it was another opportunity for um, people to continue to see what I bring to comedy. And I think that me and Charlie did it in the most tasteful way that mm-hmm. we could do it. When Charlie was like, he said, man, we didn't want to come out here. I said, fuck that, speak to yourself, nigga. I need as much camera time <laughs> right, as right, I right. <laughs> right, right, right. It was like, you know, some people feels like that lost episodes kind of uh, sold the, the audience short. But what do you do but try to do something creative so people can continue to see the work? Yeah, man. And shout out to Charlie Murphy. Rest in peace. That was a huge loss for the comedy community. Huge loss for for black people, just for the world of entertainment in general. And um, obviously, yeah, obviously you had to get close to Charlie at that time. um, And he became family. Was he was he just such a natural story storyteller on set? Because this is the first time I'm hearing. I never even realized that Charlie wasn't doing stand up. But that makes sense. First time I seen Charlie was in like, you know, uh, uh, them, them old videos, K9 Posse videos, right. and right. then and then you see him in, in, in CB4. He's such a comedic presence in, in yeah. CB4 and other things he's doing on a Chappelle show. You would just naturally assume he'd be good on stand up. But but tell us about the legacy of Charlie Mur- Murphy and how that have in- inspired you. Well, it was he. It was, oh uh, man, it was my brother, man. Like mm-hmm. you know, my father used to say a phrase about certain people. Right, when he really connected with him. And you know how when an old head say, man, 
that's a good nigga. And it's not, mm-hmm. white people, don't take it wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's a sense of integrity. It's a lot of stuff that goes there. And he was a good nigga, man. That was my nigga. Mm-hmm. He Where was born? a solid friend. He was loyal as hell. If he rocked with you, he would, he would rock with you. He had integrity. And he just was a great guy to be around. You know? And like you said yeah. about the stories, like, Charlie would sit around, and that's how the Prince and the um, Rick James sketch happened because he would sit around and just tell us stories. Mm. And he would tell a story with such detail that you just started writing. In your mind, you just started writing. Mm. He was like, that was it, man. He was a, he was a good friend. But I'm going to tell you, man, that motherfucker was a roast master, son, that mm. never stopped. These I remember talking about my beef. They be talking about my beef that I be having right. with people. Man, Char- me and Charlie Murphy. If you go to this, go to his Instagram right now, right? Nigga, literally, it's like eight pages of just memes directed at me. <laughs> <laughs> like no, no break, back to back to back, man. But I remember was, Charlie like, Murphy went on. Um, he was in the Mo Better Blues, and he told Spike Lee, "How about I kick you in your flat back and watch you grow a butt." Yo, you know what? I'm pretty sure that that was an improv. That was I'm improv. Pretty sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was He was really good at that. But he just was a really good dude, man. Very humble. When I first met him, I knew him the same way you knew him from when he was rapping and all them other stuff. And then the motherfucker just come off like a real gangster. His look just looks like that. But dude had one of the biggest hearts of, it, of, of anybody I've ever met in my life, man. Just a great Word guy. Up. Word up. Now, also... Uh, Chappelle Show alum is Michael Rappaport. And Michael Rappaport did sketches, sketches on my albums. And I need you for that Diamond D joint. We're going to talk more son. about that. Yo, um, interrupter, the interrupter, son. The I'm interrupter. Yo, son, let me say something, son. <laughs> let me say something, son. But um, we, had, uh, we had Michael Rappaport on. He was very gracious. He came on the show. And we had a clip that went viral because Michael Rappaport, as you know, you know, he, he, he's a, he's not just an actor, but he also does stand up. He also does funny stuff on his podcast and all that. And he had gotten into an argument with Kenya Moore from, uh, Love and Hip Hop and he called her ashy, right? And so he said her feet. I remember ashy. that. That happened right? on so, I remember that. Yeah. So me and Jasmine were talking about it and talk about how the black community feels about ashiness. And I will say this. Let me, before I, I get your answer, I will say that shout out to Michael Rappaport. Um, you know, he, he took some heat and he, you know, it was, it was a difficult conversation we had. Him and Jasmine got into it because he was on one side of the Ashy conversation. You was on the other side of the Ashy. Uh, Jasmine the was on the other side, side of the Ashy conversation. <laughs> so now that we got Ashy Larry in the house, and I will say that a lot of the comments on my page when I posted the clip, most of the comments, the vast majority of the comments sided with Michael Rappaport. Mm-hmm. They said that they didn't feel like he was being racist or he was being racially insensitive by saying that that black woman's feet feet was ashy. Ashy Larry, do you feel like white people should not be calling black people ashy without being Man, let me tell you something, him? man. No, you probably can't. Let me see. Look, let me stop playing <laughs> Oh, my God. Get bit. the man some <laughs> lotion. Listen, listen. <laughs> Yo, the ashy is like the N-word, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It all depends on how you, 
Yo, I believe in everywhere, anywhere it's in the context. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the word nigga wouldn't wouldn't have been such a hard word if they wouldn't was if it wouldn't accompany with a lash at the end of it. That's how you really mm-hmm. enforce a word. <laughs> you know, you put that right. sh- sh- behind that shit. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough for me because, like I say, I don't get offended when me mm-hmm. personally, I don't get offended about ashy. You know, mm-hmm. now you, if they, they call it ashy, now if you do ashy, nappy, headed hoe together. <laughs> you just hit him with the Don, with the Don Imus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You hit him with the blue, black, right, black, right, right, right. Blah. But, um, I, me personally, first off, people always going to find something to be offended about. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I personally don't have, have an issue with it. But I know that I've in certain circles, and I've heard that people try to use it as a a racial slur. But I don't have that connection with it. Okay. Yo, can you imagine if yo think about it, son? Can you imagine if I got offended every time somebody called me ashy? I would <laughs> have more mics on one show than Neil Brennan got in the three mic special, son. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. I have too many personalities to deal with deal with that, but I don't. Me personally, I don't see. I don't. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm not saying what you can say, but I don't take offense right. to it. When I first met you, Donnell, I called you Ashley Larry for like the first year until I feel like we actually became friends. And I was like, his name is Donnell. It's not Ashley Larry. Yo, when I fought, first saw you, I saw your body. I said, I don't care what that bitch called me. She bad as a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you can call Thank me you. Michael or you can call me Tony. <laughs> no, I'm uh, just saying, that is so, I don't mean, don't mean to me or whatever, but you don't. No, I, I told you I'm not going to meet to you. First of all, when that whole <laughs> Me Too thing out came out, Donnell did not talk to me for like weeks he was like ah i don't want to get me too just don't even talk i don't want to just stay away i was like you're good you're good while we're still on the Chappelle show give me your top five sketches on the Chappelle show and like what sketches do you think should be like documented as the best to go down in history i think that would have to out of no particular order it would have to be uh the blind black White supremacist or whatever. Oh, yeah. Clint, Clinton Bigsby. Yep. I would have to say that. Um, and it would Classic. have to be... White white supremacists uh, always weaponize that against me online. They'd be like, look, Dave Chappelle, he loves racism. I'm like, y'all oh didn't get my to skip. God. <laughs> oh, man, they weaponize you. Boy, I get exhausted reading your thread sometimes. I'll say, fuck right. them niggas. Let's go kill all them crackers, son. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, not only that, but, yo, boy, I swear, I don't know how you do it, son. Like, I don't know how a nigga stays socially conscious his whole career, nigga. Like, <laughs> yo, I was black. Yo, almost quit civil rights the other week. I was so frustrated with niggas, man. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. But let me answer the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah About five, five would be uh, the Tyrone Biggums, uh, Rick James. Yes, Rick James. Prince, uh, Player Haters Ball, and... Uh, Damn, Wayne Brady sketch. Right, right. The uh, right is Wayne the- Brady gonna have to sl- slap a bitch? No, no. Here's the funny part about that. Wayne Brady's a great guy. He really don't get his props as somebody that came from I agree. nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, and this is what we fucking do to our own people. You know what I'm saying? Like because yeah, he can rap too. Look like you. Yeah, he can sing. The motherfucker can do anything. He can do anything he but, wants. Yeah, yeah. But for somebody because they didn't 
have it wasn't your path. They might mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. have the swag in their voice like you wanted, and then you try you, mm-hmm. you judge them, and that's not fair. But um, the thing that was so interesting about that, Wayne Brady is he really is a nice guy, and he did not want to say bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yo, do you understand? We did about fifteen takes with different versions. Is Wayne uh-huh. Brady gonna have to grab someone by their neck really hard? Um, <laughs> <laughs> y'all should put out, y'all should put that out as like a compilation. Yo, Yo, right. And then we was looking at him like, bitch, nigga say bitch. <laughs> right. And when, when that joint hit, that was dope. But an honorable mention on that would be, the honorable mention on Spell Show would be the um with keeping it real goes wrong because that oh was my, my god, yeah. That was my idea. Those are those are that Classics. was my shit. You know, because it was a part grace. of my routine. Yeah. That's a great kid. Do you know how many times I got in trouble for the what did the five fingers say to the face? I know you were probably really young. Then, I'm telling you, <laughs> yo, that part, yo, you were really young. I don't know. You were probably what, like, whatever. You probably was in grade school maybe then. Right? I, we were just barely old enough to watch the Chappelle show. And them kids, man, yo, kids was getting suspended. <laughs> for smacking yo, the shit out of each other? Yo, yeah. Smacking, what this I'm Rick James, bitch. Yo, people was getting... People was getting suspended and everything, man. That was so dope. Um, you did morning radio in fine fashion with Ed Lover and them, and then with uh, Big Tigger and them. But I really enjoy your appearances on The Breakfast Club. And your last appearance on The Breakfast Club, you became one of the greatest memes of all time. Because after uh. you told uh, Envy that his man looked like Big Pun, you fell out your <laughs> chair, literally. <laughs> Yo, they was trying to jump me, son. Yo, they was trying to... Yo, you got to understand, whenever I go in that room, Mm -hmm. um, it's like I'm at war with three people. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, Angela Yee is over there with the sniper shot. You know what I'm saying? And Emmy's in the tree, and Charlamagne just keep trying to stab me. You know? Mm -hmm. So, and I know that we have a funny energy when we do that, but... uh, And and I go back and forth. I go hard with Charlamagne on the... uh, on the memes, I just don't know how to stop. I just won't stop. But I just, I'm, and I, here's where I'm never going to fucking stop. I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. I'll be too soon for whatever. But, you know, we have a, it's, um, I got a good relationship with them. I think part right. of the reasons why they play around with me so much is because I'm so cool with them. And whenever I do mm-hmm. the show, it's not like, it's our guests. It's like your mans. And I had to really right. think about why do they feel like the purpose of trying to clown me all the time? I don't know that's part of it, but at the same time, and I've said it before, you know, the worst thing you can tell a comedian is he's corny or say they're not funny. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not too much things I wear on my chest, you know? And the thing is, if you continue to try to create the narrative that I'm not funny, then I'm going to be like Wu-Tang, nigga. I'm just going to sew your asshole up and just keep feeding you and keep feeding, feeding you, you and keep feeding you and feeding, feeding you. you. I see yeah, your sweatshirt, your Wu-Tang sweatshirt. Show the camera. Yeah, Kyle Chrissy did this. Yeah. No doubt. You, um, you, one of my favorite, I've seen you perform a bunch of times and, you know, and I'm in the room with a bunch of comedians and uh, they stop and watch what you do, you know, and one of the things that I've seen you do that was the funniest thing, but it was also like, a very interesting, a very poignant commentary on schools and how we teach black children. You you are clearly a genius to me. You are a comedic genius and you were very smart, but you do you did this routine, this joke, bro, in the in the Shaq comedy special about having to read 
in front of the class. You know what <laughs> what <laughs> trying to get me to read something. I ain't doing it. That was, yo, just that was go. Just yo, just go. Yo, that's why all these books over here, nigga. <laughs> yo, this what you're doing? You set me up oh, to read, shit. nigga. I ain't doing it. Oh, look. shit. Look. You got all type of shit. Yo, they don't know that we... Look at this. We, oh, we used the books to put the computer on top of so we could see your face. We technical, oh, okay. but but talk to me about the evolution of that joke, and you know, because you spoke. I feel like you represented a lot of like Tory Lanez, who just recently blew up in the quarantine. Not quarantine that he wasn't already large, radio. but right. he did a great job with quarantine radio, and and he had made a comment about how he was put in a slow class, and he said everybody I know that was put in a slow class ends up being really, really efficient in society is like, what are we saying about our society when the black kids who are too energetic, too passionate, um, they might be even smarter than, than what you're reading the book knowledge. There's they no always put them thing. in a slow cut. They never, they never, it's, never, it's not, it shouldn't be never anything about too energetic, too passionate. It's probably mm-hmm. school systems that don't mm-hmm. know how to connect with that student individually. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I know a lot of times you don't have time to do that. You know what I mean? You know, and I wasn't in, um, and I said I was a special ed. Well, I wasn't a special ed. It was like a phase one. They had different phases, right? Phase one was for, like, it was the cool kids. It was like, I I know it sounds crazy. I wanted to be in that class. Right. I wanted to be, I wanted uh, to be in the class with the kid that's got his finger in the pencil sharpener. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) you know, but, and and me, when it comes to school, like, I was not, I didn't excel in school. Mm -hmm. I was always the funny dude. I was always a person that made uh, people laugh, but and particularly to that joke, man, as much as I crack jokes on people, if I had to stand up, if I had to raise my hand mm-hmm. to read out loud, I never, never raised my hand. They had to straight up <laughs> grab me out my and stand me up. So I was like, oh, please don't let me have to read out loud. But that was more of an insecurity. I didn't want to you know, the worst thing, especially when you're a funny person, when it's your turn to read out loud mm-hmm. and you mess up one sentence, nigga, they're going to tear your ass up. Mm-hmm. It's a wrap. I love that joke, bro. That's such I a great joke. That's fun. That's good. But, that, but a lot of that, that one, like a, a, a joke that I did years ago about this kid, Fat Tyrone, taking my bike when I was younger. Most of these jokes, they come from, they were built from real life experiences. They started mm-hmm. with one of the Fat Tyrone joke. That joke started with me just saying, I was on stage one day and I was like, remember when you, somebody asked to ride your bike and you said, my mother said, I can't let nobody ride that bike. I would, that literally started as that premise. And the crazy thing, I started it in DC and Royale, Royale knew what he could do with a premise or a joke. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he was like, that joke you did, you gonna do that? He said, I said, what joke? He said, the joke about um, the, the fat dude taking a bike. I said, nah. He said, let me get it. I said, give me $25, nigga. <laughs> right? And I gave, he, he gave me $25, right? Then the next week, I said, let me try this one more time, right? And the next week, I caught the groove on it. And I said, nigga, here your money back. I want my joke back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm taking my Take joke back. back. He said, you right. can't do that. I said, well, watch it. You ain't going to be able to do what I did. So here your punk ass $25, sir. Right. You did a spoof on Cardi Cardi B's Bodak Yellow talking about Instagram comedians that don't actually do stand-up. And then you also talked about on um, Joe Rogan how stand-up is like the only art form where you can 
joke and be free. What do you feel about the current state of stand-up right now? Do you have any fears about where it's turned, taking a turn? No, I'm going to tell you, you know, you know, it's a lot of older guys. Mostly the older guys have an issue with, they call them Instagram comedians. I'm like, them Instagram niggas was wanting something because them motherfuckers ain't stopped moving with the, with the, with the pandemic and the quarantine. Mm-hmm. That was their thing. And I don't have a, like, it's different. Like, when I started, when you thought of comedian, it wasn't a lot of different types of comedian. It was stand-up comic. It was somebody standing flat-footed with a microphone engaging an audience. Mm-hmm. Now, like, when you say comedian, they have the new social media stuff, and it is a form of comedy, but my only issue, not even an issue, my only situation with that, if you're going to call yourself a stand-up comedian and you ain't got the chops, you know that's not what you really do. You know, mm. it, you stay in your lane or at least try to get good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like one of the things, like, I like Jess Hilarious. You know what I'm saying? And it's so tough what people don't understand is, like, the Instagram comedians, I kind of compare them to Charlie Murphy's career at the beginning of stand-up, is when Charlie Murphy was selling out venues pretty much as an open micer. Mm. You know mm. what I'm saying? That's he interesting. Had to, he had to, yeah, he already had a demand. That's like know, me like, as a DJ. It's like me as a DJ. I, I get booked to do DJ gigs, but I had to learn on the job while other DJs are looking at me like, that nigga is not dope like that. You know right, what I'm saying? and then you just say, "Watch," mean. but you put the work in, and you say, "Watch, I will get dope." And that was it. And right. that's what I say for like, like DC Young Fly. Like I like this guy a lot because you know he's he got, he has a look of a movie star. He got the energy. He's going to be a big movie star. Stand up is only going to be part of it. But he really cares about the art form. He cares about being better. I'm not. You never guarantee what level you'll reach, but at least try, and then just have respect for the art form because it's tough mm-hmm. to get to the point where you're good at it, you know? But, no doubt. Then, but I also think that, uh, you know, it's certain times when you know your job is important. And Dave Chappelle, man, I'll just explain this once. I'll just explain this. Like, it was some, uh, some time ago when the Me Too joint was kicking off. And I think you was, we was all together, son, mm-hmm. at that show. Remember he just jumped on stage? And he said something that's really deep. He said, um, comedians, now it's the time for us to grab our balls because it's our job to make fun of the stuff that's troubling the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's moments like that, that. It's moments like now that I feel great to be a comedian. It's like having relationships with people like that that can drop those jewels that really understand what comedy does for an mm-hmm. audience. And more importantly, this is what a lot of motherfuckers don't know. It's therapy for us. Yes. That's that's our couch. That's our couch. Nigga, I ain't get no pills. Nigga, I got to get on stage. Right? Yeah, fuck <laughs> your couch. <laughs> fuck your couch. Like I got, shit, think couch. about it. The best comedians, whatever's happening in your life, you want to go on stage and talk about that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm having a baby. I'm talking about that. Oh, I'm getting married. I want to talk about that. I want to kill my baby mother. I want to keep talking about that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, that is, that's our therapy. And it, and even during this pandemic, what's been a tough part for a lot of people is not knowing how to pivot and get that therapy session away from just talking on the microphone. You know? Right, mm-hmm. right. Now, um, you also, you and me also share the honor of being involved somehow 
with The Wire. In the first season of The Wire, um, Black Star songs are all through the episodes. You in the you in The Wire playing Clay Davis Driver, right? Yes. Did you know how how iconic that show would be when you was doing that role? I didn't know that. In fact, I'll take it back. The Wire was the spinoff of HBO's The Corner. Yes. Uh, and you was in The Corner too, too, right? Yeah, I played a heroin addict. That, that, mm. that, the, H, the Corner won three Emmys that year. I think it's like 97 or 98. And um, David Simon is really good about working with some of the same people. It's like mm-hmm. he always throw bones. And um, when I got the when I when I got to the wire, that mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't know is the character of Omar. That all came down to me and Mike. Shout out to Mike. My, uh, Robert Colesbury is one of the executive producers. When I first went to work for a while, he said, "You know that uh, the Omar character came down to you and Mike." And then after I saw what he did to that character, I was like, yeah. "Nobody would have been able to kill him genius the way he did it." You know, but I did. If, I didn't know how successful that show was going to be, mm-hmm. but I felt like something special was happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because working with Calvin Wood, Idris Elba, Reggie Kathy, Clark Peters, Candy, Alice, some of the dopest actors, you just felt something was happening. But it didn't, it just started popping. I was like this, people are addicted to the show. I was like, oh shit, you ain't in a bad place, son. You just mm-hmm. was on one of the most iconic, uh, comedy shows in the history of television and dramatics. It's a rap. Not a rap, but I'm like, yeah. it's like some bucket list shit. A lot of, uh, one thing that people don't know, when you watch The Wire, my character, Cinder Clay Davis' uh, driver, he mm-hmm. was supposed to, um, that character was supposed to develop. It was supposed to grow. But what happened was Baltimore Tourist, Baltimore Tourism Board, they kept getting so much flack about the depiction of uh, a Baltimore, a Baltimore, that they had to switch it from the uh, from the towers to the docks. Mm. So that's, so that's why we whole, have those episodes that that whole yep, season whole, that had took place at the at the docks. Yep, the whole story, yeah. the whole storyline, the whole storyline changed, and it was because of that. And it was my character was going to build, but they switched the storyline, so I got lost. There's no way that I'm gonna have all that money, son, and not be able to explain it. Where is he going mm. following the money? And I already, I had already had plans on how I was going to be, I was going to be like, talk one way when I'm around, when I'm, you know, doing the political shit. And mm. then I, I was going to put some layers on that shit, but it got lost. And David Simon brought me back for the last season just as a nice little tribute. And that was nice yeah. because he could have rode around it, but um, that being a part of that show, was amazing. I've been lucky to be able to, you never know how long your career is going to last, you know, how long you're going to be, as the kids say, relevant or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to know that some of the things I've done will go down in television history. You know? Oh, fact. No doubt. There's that yeah. Cypher Sounds walking around in the back behind me. Yeah, I see him. You saw him. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Isaiah Whitlock. Mike Jay over here tiptoeing around and shit. <laughs> um, Isaiah Whitlock. Mike Jay, Neil Brennan. Oh, <laughs> so you're trying to start shit on my show, um, but man, no, Clay not. Davis, Clay Davis, Isaiah Whitlock is with that with that she. Yeah. Like I, I really like what he did with that character. Um, did you know that he was on Chappelle's show too? Yes, he was. 
Yes, he was. He's a talented brother, man. He is. And all those Spike Lee movies, he did this movie called Cedar Rapids, where he plays an insurance salesman who's a big fan of The Wire. And so oh, really? in, in this movie, Cedar Rapids, it's, it's Isaiah Whitlock, the actor, playing this like homogenized insurance salesman. And he's he's so safe and clean and not like with the stereotypical black dude. And he's like, well, you know, I like I like The Wire. Like, I really like Omar. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so it was shit. a nice little tribute that he did Everybody, in that my movie. Father did, my father was a, 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 a heroin dealer for years, right? Mm-hmm. And he loved The Wire. Mm-hmm. But the Omar character, he told one time, he said, man, I don't believe that motherfucker gay <laughs> motherfucker sucking dicks and shooting motherfuckers. He said, <laughs> he said, if you want to catch Omar, throw a bag of dicks out in the courtyard. He'll come out for that. <laughs> Oh, Omar coming, all right. Omar coming. He said, oh, he said, he'll come out whistling. <laughs> now, 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 moving ahead, moving ahead. You, um, you know, you were on the wire. You were in the military. You spoke on your, on your podcast about almost even joining the police force at one point. Um, now, in this moment of, pol- of protests against racist policing, the, the phrase defund the police has gain prominence and move from the fringe to or the mainstream. Where do you stand on just police? What What do you have to say about the current pushback to police brutality? And are you a supporter of defund the police? I'm a supporter of defund the police. I'm also a supporter that, you know, people want to just like, you, you got to just get a different system. You cannot not have police. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You not have police, then you're going to have cartels and different shit. that are just going to be doing their own policing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you so, think about community policing, though? Like putting putting that money into social programs. And no, I agree with that. Community. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I do agree with the defunding part. A lot of people don't understand what it, it actually means. They think like right. take their money. It's not as pro- appropriating the money and putting it somewhere else. You know what I'm right. saying? I think the whole thing. This was the frustrating thing about police brutality, and we know that it's been going on for years, son. And we know it's fucked up. But black people, we start building armor toward it. It's like, it's mm. like, I know this sounds crazy. It's like, oh, nigga ain't been killed in a couple months. We about to get one. You know what mm. I'm saying? Mm. And like, I don't think it's that situation. It's never going to stop. But the hardest part for black people to deal with was that nobody go to jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody got to go to jail. And in this particular, and you know, I've been around long enough to have been a part of a lot of marches been part of a lot of moments. It's boiled my blood. But I feel like this situation is uh, a little different mm-hmm. than other ones because I said, I said it on stage, I said, boy, white people, we got y'all motherfuckers apologizing for everything. Now. Everything. <laughs> Yo, those niggas is coming up like, here, take it. It's a check for the NAACP. It's yours. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, if you ain't got a white friend that hadn't wrote a check for the NAACP, they not a real friend. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Word up. and then the th- and another real, side, real and another side of that for me particularly, because when I was in the Air Force, I was a cop. I wasn't oh, wow. no super cop, so it's tough for me. Where some people just want to say "fuck the police," it's it's tougher for me because some of my closest friends were police. Some of my closest mm-hmm. friends uh, retired NYPD. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. But it's so fucked up, man, because there are a lot of good cops out there, but they don't get the shine. 
You know what I'm saying? And they get fired, yeah. and they get fired we're, if they do the right out. thing, and they get they get they yeah. get harassed by the other cops, which creates a system where the only way for them to even really be a good cop is to retire or not or just not be a cop, and that's a that's a real fucked up proposition for them. But you know what? Another thing too, most most cops aren't cops because they wanted to be in law enforcement. A lot of them are cops because it was a good job. Right. Mm. Same thing with you know the military. Same military. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like, I know I, man, my father was so mad at me when I became a cop in the military. I think he's about to disown me. Disown me. <laughs> right. But I'm going to tell you when he, I got back in good grace with him, when I got locked up for 72 hours, man, he was like, I knew it. <laughs> he's like that's he's my like, boy yo yo he was like, he was like this he said out of all my kids he said I knew you was the one I knew it I'm so yeah. mad but, um, go ahead Jess the problem is uh, it seems to be that the amount of good cops are the minority because if there were more good cops than bad cops then it wouldn't matter that they were coming forward they wouldn't be losing their jobs yeah I mean I just my, my like on the bad cop side stop killing niggas you know what yeah. I'm saying? Be that bad cop that's, that's still in drugs and sell them, but stop killing motherfuckers. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, you got all, you, I, I know what type of bad cop I would have been. I was like, yo, nigga, I got that weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that um that that's, that's you know, I think what you're speaking on is, is accurate when you say that people don't join police to be oppressors in their mind. A lot of people have the best of intentions, especially when you talk about black cops who come from poor, violent neighborhoods. They feel like, okay, let me try to be the change I want to see. Let me try to infiltrate the system and maybe the make the cops? change. Yeah. The, you know? Let me tell you something. On my podcast, I had a cop call and he was talking about the same thing you're talking about, being mm-hmm. a black cop. And, and I was trying to understand why such a dis- disdain toward um, cop, black cops and then why sometimes the black cops are worse than a white cop. Mm, and he right. told me he was in the military. He got out of the military. When he got out of the military, he was looking for a job. He was the only one in his family that graduated from high school. He needed a job. And he thought about being a police officer. And he said that um, everybody in his family was laughing at him, cracking jokes on him, right? He said, one uncle said, take it, it's a good job. Right. And then he said when he first thought he didn't have a car and he was from the hood, he used to have to walk from the hood to the police station in his cop uniform. Mm-hmm. He wow. said they used to they used to treat him like Calvin got a job on Chappelle's show. They were talking <laughs> shit to him. <laughs> Yo, they was calling him Uncle Tom's old police mm-hmm. ass nigga, all that type of stuff. So can you imagine when you're trying to do something positive with your life? You know what I'm saying? You're from this community, and the same community you're from, people are talking shit to you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a side of it that people don't understand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, 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 a, yeah, I think, but I think that what, what people who go through that got to realize is, is that the job of the police officer, you are you are not, we can't, we can't judge you the same way we judge the heroin dealer because the heroin dealer never made a promise to serve mm-hmm. or protect nobody. The heroin right. dealer is not is not being paid by tax dollars. So if you're being yes. paid by tax dollars, you took that oath to serve and protect, then that means that you serve and protect every American citizen, even the people that hate you. Even the niggas mm-hmm. that say fuck the fuck the police, your job right. is to, pr- to protect them. And if you're not willing to accept that, then maybe a cop is not is not for you. 
You know what I'm saying? But like, see, that's you, another thing. Another thing is not might not be a good job to be a cop. If you can't fight, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> Word up. Yo, Take nigga. Take a karate class. Right. Yo, you want to be a cop. Yo, you going to be a, you want to be a cop and you ain't got no hands. You going right. to shoot somebody, son. Yo, you seen them. I just seen in, in California. I think it was Hawthorne, California. A young lady saw the cops surround a dude. The dude was on his hands and he was on his knees. He had his hands like this. Right. And the cops all pulled out and they pulled out all these guns. And then there was one cop, two cop, three cop, four cop. And they pulled out one. One of the one of the cops had one of them like it looked like the blunderbuss from that movie Looper that she pulled out. on his knee, You know what I'm saying? But but, you know, it's because they can't fight. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you can't take an ass whooping, don't think about being a cop. And it's so funny because a black cop I was telling you about that um, that used to walk through the hood. He was a big motherfucker, right? Mm -hmm. He said, he used to tell the motherfuckers, look, I'm going to get off work, right? Then you know the motherfuckers say, yeah, you got that bag. He said, I'm going to get off work. He said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to beat you up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, son, he didn't say, I'm going to whoop your ass. He said, can you, the pressure of someone telling you, I'm a grown ass man telling you, I'm going to beat you. Beat you up means you about to get lumped up in everything. He said that, <laughs> that, that he said he used to put the law, he used to put the paws on him without the gun or none of that type of shit. But yeah, it's a well, job. One day- it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. How do you find somebody who wants to be a cop? But it definitely shouldn't be a profession where if you have an issue with interacting with people, period, then you shouldn't do mm-hmm. it. You should, that's, it's mm-hmm. Fine. I know it's tough to say, but you got to find something else to do. And also yeah, understand right. that, understand that it really is, it's, it's got to be tough being a cop. You know what I mean? And especially in certain areas. You like take like certain parts of Brownsville when, you know, as a cop, you're supposed to have rules before you engage or pull your weapon. And then on the other time, other side of here, you know, it's people that you come in contact with. It's people out there that they have motherfucking guns and they don't have no rules to their shit. Mm-hmm. And the cops think that they don't have no rules to their shit. And you do have some rules to your shit. Mm-hmm. It's procedures mm-hmm. you have to go through. And going back to the George Floyd thing, it just it was just so, so fucked up and disgusting. You know, it's just show you how fucking fearful of a black man. And that's with yeah. four people on him. You still fear him. Mm-hmm. And there was another video that was just released, another angle. And there's like three or four people yelling at the cops. He can't breathe. He's not breathing. He's not moving. Like move your move from his neck. And they just like I know, I know, I know. But cops, what's well, the real shit? I know cops be like that's like a a tagline for them. Like, like I know them niggas like can't breathe. That's what they all say, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you seen the thing with the with the kid? With they they there was the cop that said. Uh, I forget the name of the kid that they was on top of, but the guy was like, I can't breathe. And the cop was on tape saying, fuck your breath. Yes. Yeah. Really oh, you, know you know, the, you know, they got it's so fucked up because, you know, they race get soldiers. police station. They got their fucking jokes and shit like that. But yeah. Again, these motherfuckers, I think it's going to be a shift. You know what I'm saying? And as much as, you know, the advancement we're getting, whatever, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be day by day. It's going to be year by year. But mm-hmm. something has to stop because the shit's going to get crazy. But they now, I mean, it always said it. Start locking these motherfuckers up and yes. start them. Yo, what the a cop don't want to do? That, that pension. That's all yes, they talk about. Yes, hit the pensions. Yo, the pension. That's all they talk about is that goddamn pension. They got to get my pension. Get the full pension. Mm-hmm. Got my pension. Get my They work in the field for 
the pension. You start hitting them right there, hitting them with some money and put some of them to jail. When you can just be reckless and take the law in your own hand, hands and you know there's a chance of like the chance of you beating it, what do you got to show? It's mm-hmm. so easy for you to say, if you if a motherfucker twists his shoulder, oh, he was resisting arrest. Okay, but does that mean you have to shoot this motherfucker? Right. You got a motherfucker handcuffed. You know what I'm saying? Does that mean that you have the right to take this motherfucker life? And they feel like they can. They mm-hmm. know the only thing they need is a little bit of proof on why mm. I'm going to kill this Yeah, man. man. Like they and say they all start- the time, give me a reason. They be like, give me a reason, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, like, it's a long way to go, but it starts with these motherfuckers got to start doing some time. They ain't going to mm-hmm. like that shit. You, you want, yo... They're gonna. I'm not saying snitch on your man, but you're gonna second guess a lot of shit, knowing like, yo, I caught. They're gonna look at it like this. He caught the third degree. I caught manslaughter, whatever. But you, it's the same thing. Conspiracy, yo. I'm going. I'm not going down with you on that shit. It is switch. Right, right. It's gonna be yeah, some time, but it's gonna switch. Motherfuckers, stop putting the motherfuckers in jail. Word up. Now, Donnell Rollins. Um. It's been an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate your time and your energy. Tell tell us about what you got going on. I mean, I'm we you and me out here quarantine in Yellow Springs, so I know we got right. going on for the next couple of weekends. But just in general, right. what's on? What's next for Donnell Rollins? Well, what's what's been good for me because I get the question. I know it's got to be crazy not doing stand up, but I've replaced stand up time with daddy time. So that uh, pandemic on that. Show them your hat. A, show them your hat. Huh? Uh, your hat. My man. Dads are cool too. One of my little youngest, one of my little youngest, I helped raise. Not my son, but I was dating his aunt. He came with his own line doing that. So I, uh, Timothy Havens, shout out. I um, I've been making a pivot. You know, I just started doing my podcast maybe six or seven months ago, and it couldn't have came at a better time. And I've been putting a lot of my energy into that. Uh, I started a candle line. I know it sounds crazy, but I came up with this candle called Black Ash, and it helps you. It helps eliminate the uh, twerk odor. It helps eliminate blood smells. And yes. it's just a, it's a really good candle. It's made out of uh, sandalwood, uh, lavender, ambergris. It's a hundred percent. I seen you on the Breakfast Club with the la- with the lavender. Oh yeah, John. Uh, who gave me that fucking? What's the Dwight boy uh, to hang with Dave? Um, John Mayer, guitar nigga. John Mayer, yeah. John Mayer. <laughs> I said the guitar nigga. <laughs> Yo, the guitar nigga. But I've been doing that. I've been able to create some other financial situations for myself away from traditional stand up. But I've just been this quarantine has really make me feel like I want to. be be more empowered of my career. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Of things I do because it was a it was a reality check. Like when this happened, like we as comedians, we're literally unemployed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you got to figure out something else. You got to figure out how you're going to support yourself if those tour dates go away. Mm-hmm. It was the yes. toughest thing for any comic to deal with. What am I going to do now? And I've always had like an entrepreneurial spirit, but I didn't have to do it because I'm a road rat. I'm like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at my calendar. You know, this business, son. Same you know with me. To, you know what I'm saying? I'm like this. Motherfuckers, I remember was one time you would call me for a gig. It could be next Thursday. They would be like, what you got next Thursday? Nigga, I ain't got nothing. Send me the deposit. Right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Send that. Right. Well, the show might happen. You, y'all decide that, right? Y'all right. do that. 
but right. give me this deposit right, right. now. Right, hit him the next day, shit. like, yo, did that deposit yeah. come in yet? Yeah, yo, yo, you know that deposit <laughs> hustle, like, yo, yeah, yeah. I ain't moving, I ain't moving, I ain't moving till I get that deposit, right? Right, right, no doubt. And so I was so happy to be able to get to a point where, you know, like I had a, a full calendar for a year. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, shit. But now that's gone. I'm doing this candle thing. I'm creating some some different type of opportunities. But I'm staying creative. That's the hardest thing to do doing this. You still got to be thinking. You pushing it. You know what mm. I'm saying? You always pushing something else. You know what I mean? Like, always pushing something else. You always got something to show a nigga on your phone, son. Yo. <laughs> you like, yo, we got this. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? But, no doubt. you know, you, you pivot and... um. You make moves. The candle is on my website, the Donnell Rollins Show. It's a it's a very nice smelling candle. Um, that's what what else? The Donnell Rollins Show and my candle, and I love my son to death. No doubt. And with that, I want us to give all the flowers to Donnell Rollins that he deserves. Brother, I love you. Thank you for doing the People's Party. People's Party is Donnell Rollins. Give it up. Jasmine. Yes. You look so beautiful, man. That glow looks good on you. I'm yes, so proud of Jasmine. 